And I, I guess you are all experts in 1 John now, aren't you? Does anybody know how many sermons you've had on 1 John? Do you think it numbers a lot? It's quite a lot, because I'm the last, you're saying. For whatever reason that is, I don't know. But And this is the 10th, if we do, yes? Oh, taking over, we're good, right? If we have a press down arrow. So those are the nine that went before, yes? All good stuff. And now, today, we have the last one, which needs a press of the arrow. Confidence in God is the title. But actually, it's a different title in here, because according to the IV, the wholly uninspired headings say, Concluding Remarks. So you, uh, it's great to be invited along to have the concluding remarks. Have you ever been any place where you get to the concluding remarks? Normally, you're waiting for your dinner. It's a, a time that you think, oh, I've heard all this before. Uh, what's all this about? So I've got the job of telling you what you've heard all before. Now, I'm, if you're anything like us, um, I, I keep a register. The church knows I keep a register. It's not a secret. Uh, I, and so I know exactly when people say, it's for pastoral reasons only. But I know that on average, we attend church once every two weeks. Right? Now, there's some people that are an awful lot, and some people that they're not quite so much. But it, what it means is, it's a bit like, imagine, do you remember Norman Collier? Anybody remember Norman Collier? And he used to do this thing with the mic. I can't do it. I've tried doing it before, so I can't do it. Where he misses out every other word. And it's a bit like that if you come to a sermon series. You know, have you seen them all? Have you? So if you've not been to them all, this is your chance to reflect. Oops, we've gone on one. Yeah, just take it back one. The up arrow, then, then down arrow. Oh, well, never mind. Right, don't worry about that. It's okay. Oh, fantastic. So you'll see, hear all of that, well, a little bit about it, uh, and we'll reflect on the confidence. So we do two down arrows, and we are cooking on gas, as they say. Can't do that in Haddenham. We don't have any gas. <laughs> and I guess when we say, if this is all about confidence in God, here's a question for you. Has the church, we'll just talk about the church in general for the minute, has the church lost confidence in God? I was trying to remember, there was, a, there was a joke in one of the first Alpha things. I desperately tried to look it up in, in Nicky Gumbel's book. It goes a bit like this, and it's about the Church of England, but it could just as easily be any church. The, the church has, uh, the, the, uh, God the Father has left the church, having seen all the recent events, such as women priests, uh, and, uh, uh, and what other things can we have, uh, uh, anything that's happening in the Church of England. Uh, and it says, it goes on to say, Unfortunately, this is the case, but the church will just have to get on with it. It's managed to get on with things before. And there's a sense which, for those of us that are a little bit older, the church, certainly of my youth, I'm 100% sure had lost confidence in God. I hope that the church of my adult years regained a confidence in God. But the issue isn't about whether the church in general has regained a confidence in God. The issue for us here is, has this church ever lost the confidence? Has it regained confidence? And for you personally, perhaps there have been times that you, in your darker moments, have just lost a little bit of confidence in God. we do the next one. If people have lost confidence, I've got the solution. Here it is. 
I went to the place that you go for everything if you want to know where it is, which is, I didn't need to say it, it's really good, Google. And I Googled confidence. And I found it. That is a real sign. And if you do the next one, if you want to know, if you've lost your confidence, here it is. It's in California. So you can go there. It's a place, I guess it's about 100 miles from the, the coast, from San Francisco, and you'll find Confidence, California. But of course, it's not that type of confidence that we're asking about. Wonder what the world, what the church, what you and I put our confidence in. I brought along a few examples. Here's one. If we do down arrow, yeah? Okay, down arrow again. And do again, or with sound. Hopefully you like this. Have you good confidence? together now. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love. Love is all you need. Well, I did tell you I like karaoke. I'll go off in a second. I'll go off in a moment anyway. You know, there's a, isn't that what this passage it says? You know, I love the Beatles. Uh, and John Lennon in particular. If you're, if you're my generation, you either like John Lennon or, or Paul McCartney. John Lennon was my cup of tea. Uh, and uh, So this is obviously a McCartney song. But all you need is love. But there's a little problem with that. Because the real love that they're talking about isn't the love that we read in this book. It's the love that says that you believe in an intrinsic goodness of people. That's what they were singing about. And as a young boy, uh, growing up in a, a working class uh, place in Scotland... I really did believe in the intrinsic goodness of people. All we needed to do was educate people. And I don't think it's cynicism now that when I look back I realise that's a mistake. There is not an intrinsic good of people. The Bible teaches that we're all fallen short of the glory of God. That we're all sinners. There's an intrinsic sinfulness in us. And it's God's love that brings that solution. So you might have put your confidence in the goodness of people. Can we have the next one? This chap, anybody ever heard of him? Herman Bondi. It's a very young photograph. I met him in his later years. He is a genius, or he died a few years ago. But he was a professor at, at, uh, at uh, Cambridge before he realised the error of his ways and went to King's in London. Uh, and he's the, he's, wait for this, I used to be a physicist, so this is why I know about it. He used to be, or he was, the author, co-author of uh, the previous cosmological theory of the universe. Before the Big Bang, which I'm sure everybody's heard the phrase, he authored the heat death of the universe. He was also the president of the British Humanist Society. I had a conversation, a young scientist had this conversation about faith with him, which he completely dismisses. He had the brain the size of a planet, to use another phrase. But he had no solutions. If you've ever been to a humanist funeral, 
or indeed a humanist wedding, both of which I've been to recently. They're lovely, but they miss what's important. They miss the most important thing, which in case you ever go and you're not quite sure what it is, it's hope. The sure and certain hope of Jesus. So you can put your faith in the human intellect, wisdom, but it's not there. And then the next one, you might have. <laughs> I love the picture. So you get the, you get the heading, some people believe that you can leap over tall buildings in a single bound. I'm not sure which one they believe it of. But we've, we've got a young black lad that comes to our church, uh, and he was, when uh, Obama was elected, he was beside himself with joy. He really, he completely believed this is a man that's going to bring fantastic difference. Now, whatever you think about the politics of Obama or America, putting such faith in people, that, that's got to be a good thing, isn't it? It'd be good if we believe that about our politicians or our leaders in whatever sphere. But the truth is, we can't put our confidence in their abilities. All these three things are good, but none of them are what we put our confidence in, if we have the, the next one. Because what we put our confidence in is the gospel. And that begs the question, what is the gospel? And if we, the gospel in one sense, again, will be what John's writing about here. Now we think the gospel will be one of those four books at the beginning of the New Testament. But John encapsulates our hope in this letter. And we do the next one. And he concludes with us having a confidence in God. Let's have a little look at, uh, just a brief look at some of the, the verses that we've looked at. If we're doing the next one, John. Well, I should, sorry. I should have said, but the book itself. Have you, did, have you noticed as you've gone through it, and you've, I'm sure you've been reading it as you've been having the sermons. It's a book all about Jesus, but it always talks about Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is not Mr. Christ. It's Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Anointed One. It's talking about not just the Saviour, but the Anointed Saviour. And this book is riddled with it. And it's emphasising to all of us who are Christians, because it's written to Christians, it's emphasising the certainty of who Jesus was and is for us. He is the Anointed One. He's the one who brings confidence to us. 1 Corinthians 1.23 We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. A stumbling block to Jews is that it's a curse. How could God be lifted up on a, on a tree, hung from a tree? And foolishness to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, the wise, the Hermann Bondies of their age. Because how could somebody who dies win? And yet that's our hope isn't it? And there are three little paragraphs within what we, what we read. The first one says that this is to all who believe in Jesus that they have eternal life. It's to all who if, if you know anyone who believes in Jesus and has some doubts about their eternal destiny, point them to this verse. I had a really sad funeral a few, uh, a few months ago where this chap who was well into his 90s had died and, and he was a lovely man but he had no faith whatsoever and he was married to a member of our church uh, and uh, they felt that they couldn't have the service in the, in the, in the church because it would be 
untrue to his, to his, to his uh, what he'd said all his life. So I took the service in the crematorium, uh, and I spoke of uh, things which uh, he would have really appreciated. Um, but there was a worry about where and what had happened to him. And his wife, his widow, said this. Norman never really believed there was anything after death. And then she said, and I'm not too sure myself. And she was baptized nearly 70 years ago. And I'm not too sure myself. That was really honest of her. But it is a fact that all who believe have eternal life. It goes on to say, and therefore whatever we ask in his name that he gives. He has the power to give everything. And you might therefore ask, well, what is it right to ask? How do we know what's right to ask for in his name? If you want to know what's right in his name, I can't remember, no, that isn't on the next slide. Um, it's that list from 1 John. It's about how we live. It's how we live in community. It's how we deal with other people. It's how we, re, how we uh, respond to God. It's how we worship the Lord. It's about who he is. And it's about having a confidence in him that he can deliver. And then there's this really strange verse, isn't there? I'll just uh, read this to you. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that we should pray about that. John's River writing these sort of convoluted arguments, isn't he? What is all this about? There's sins that lead to death and sins that don't lead to death. Now, if you're like me, the first thing you think is, well, have I got a list? Which ones am I on? Am I on the ones that are sort of okay? Or am I on the ones that are... And what am I going to do if I'm on the ones that aren't okay? Well, there's some good news and there's some bad news. The good news is there's no such list. The bad news might be that you have to be forgiven. Oh no, that's good news, isn't it? But it's bad news if you haven't been forgiven. Because the sins that don't lead to death are those from which you've been forgiven. And if you go to chapter 1 earlier on, it speaks all about the fact that our sins are forgiven when we come and confess to the Lord. Okay. And then it says, children of God do not continue to sin. It's quite a difficult short passage to deal with for this. See, I want to say that we take sin seriously. But I have this feeling that in our world, one of the things people say, well, you're only human. We're all sinners. True. But what's this line saying to us? We will not sin. When we look, I was trying to think, how, how can you look at that? Is anybody good at grammar here? Anybody know anything about grammar? Do you? Are you a teacher of English? No. A physicist. <laughs> Teachers of English. So, in the, we, if we think of being sanctified, have you ever heard somebody said it's the future perfect continuous tense? Have you ever heard that? It means that we're being saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. And the Greeks do it all with one word. They're really clever, aren't they? Yeah. But there's that sort of sense of us going through this process. So we will not sin. And it is absolutely true. But we must take sin in our life seriously. And when we do and we seek the Lord and we confess, then he's faithful and he forgives us. And finally, 
Keep yourself from idols. Just out of the blue, at the end of all this, keep yourself from idols? Has he missed a bit out? You see, what he's doing is he's summarizing everything that's in there. Everything, all those other things, all those other nine sermons that you've had, is culminating in this one phrase, keep yourself from idols. You see, John recognizes that we are entrapped in sin. And it's like a weed. It's like if you've ever been at a, 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 a canal or a guest here at the cut, and if you were to go in, you'd get caught up with all the weeds, and it pulls you down. And the more you struggle, the more it pulls you down. And idols are those things which we put above God. And if you think you haven't got any idols, I guarantee you have, there will be things that on occasion you put above God. And the issue is, how can you put them to one side? Keep yourself from idols. And then you'll stay close to Jesus. You'll stay in his light. You remember in John's Gospel, he writes, uh, I think chapter 15, he writes about, I am the vine. And it's only those who are in the vine. And there's all these lines about, if you're not, then you'll be cut out and, you'll be, and it'll be burnt. And, but to remain in the vine, to remain in him. Noah's Ark. I love asking this question. Who was it that closed the door in Noah's Ark? It's God. Because God invites everybody in. It's my belief that everybody that walked past that ark as it was being built, everybody that laughed, they could have been on board. And God wanted them to be on board. And he didn't even leave the act to Noah, a righteous man. It was God that closed the door. And Jesus is our ark. He's our vine, he's our ark. If we are in him, we are righteous and we are saved. Oh no, we've not got that song, have we? So as you come to the conclusion of these ten, series, these 10 sermons on 1 John, just remember this. Keep yourself from idols. And we stay close to Jesus. We'll pray and we'll come to the Lord in worship and song. Father, as we hear your words, we hear the beautiful words that uh, we are saved, that we are with you that there is nothing that can keep us from you. We thank you. When we have slipped and fallen, when we have put other things, other people, other situations in front of you, we ask forgiveness. And we ask that you would indeed, by your Spirit, keep us from idols. In Jesus' name we pray.